I gave my life to Jesus on Wednesday. No, okay, I already did that before. <laughs> Sorry. I was like, the filter didn't catch that. It was kind of catching it, and then it didn't. So, well, I'm glad you made it a priority to be here um, with us. If you have your Bible, you can grab it, head over to the book of Jude. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, then you can grab the, your tablet or your phone and head over to the Uversion Bible, and uh, you can find our stuff there, hopefully, uh, under events or live. Uh, you can also grab the bulletin, and there's a notes section, fill in the blanks, just helps you stay on task and focused. But we are in a series called Small Fry, and this is, uh, this is week five in the book of Jude, and this will be our last week in Jude, and then next week we'll move to Philemon. And the idea of this uh, message series is just pretty simple, that we are talking through verse by verse Uh, the most overlooked books of the New Testament, uh, the smallest ones. And so we're talking through Jude, uh, Philemon, 2 John, and 3 John. So that's what we're doing over the summer. And so we've still got a few more weeks in this series, but this is our last one in Jude. Uh, But the main idea or the thrust of Jude we've discovered over the last four weeks is to fight for faith. And so Jude has been trying to get us to stand up and to fight for faith. And it's all about that. And he, he wrote this letter to, to, to accomplish that. And, and it's like when you're at a dinner and everything is pretty normal and there's lots of conversations going on all at once and everybody's having a good time. But then somebody all of a sudden kind of stands up quickly and pushes their chair back from the table, right? Pushes their chair back and stands up real fast. And now everybody like, whoa, pauses and looks at this person. And everybody gets quiet to see what they got up for and what they're so pumped about. And, and so Jude has, at our dinner, kind of pushed his chair back and stood up all of a sudden to get our attention because he wants us to fight for faith. And, and so we talked about that. And then um, a few weeks ago, we talked about why this is important. Why is Jude asking us to fight for faith? It's because there are forces inside and outside of the church that would seek to draw you away from biblical truth, right? And so he's trying to get you to fight for faith so that you're ready uh, to not be drawn away by those forces. And he gave us six examples of, of people you should not follow because as he said, they are destined for destruction, and so uh, you don't want to follow them. Then we, speak, we spent two weeks talking about how. How do we fight for faith? And uh, we talked about uh, just how the, the last three weeks of Jude, the last two weeks and today, were really used in verses 20 through 23 as a, a foundation. And so the first thing we talked about was keep in the love of God. Ready, set, go. I have a magic pointer, and it's going to get to the verses, Jude 20 through 23. Boom. Keep yourselves in the love of God. It's a little delayed, but that's okay. Uh, it's just, I'm working on my pointer, all right? I'm working on it. Uh, but keep yourselves in the love of God. And we talked about persevering, and we talked about how you got to endure, and you got to stay there. It's not just starting, but staying. And then last week, we talked about um, How it's not just words, it's not just talking, but it's doing. Fighting for faith is doing. And we talked about discipline and how personal discipline is really just choosing between what you want now and what you want most, right? We talked through that and we looked at what Jude said uh, just before that keep yourselves in the love of God. He said, 
build yourselves up in the holy faith, pray in the Holy Spirit, and wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked through those things out of verses 20 and 21. All of those messages are on our website and iTunes, so make sure you listen to them if you weren't here so you get the full idea of Jude since this is our last week in Jude. But this week... Our last message in Jude, and possibly my last time to ever preach in a superhero shirt. Because we're fighting for faith, right? Some of you didn't get that. It's okay. I didn't want to make it so plain. I wanted you to think about it, all right? We're fighting for faith, and so I've worn a superhero shirt the last five, this is week five, just so that you could remember, just something to help you remember what Jude is about. Like if you ever think, like, I remember when Pastor Jake wore all those super, what was that about? Oh, it's Jude, and it was because we're supposed to fight for faith. Are you, are you tracking with me? It's kind of a kid's ministry ploy, but hopefully it works, all right? Some of you have kid's ministry minds. Okay, so we, I'm just trying to be there with you on your level, all right? Don't get mad at me. Here we go. Uh, But Jude wants to talk to you about the rest of, of that text, verses 22 through 23, and how fighting for faith is not just about how you believe on the inside, but how you live on the outside. It's not, it's not about how you believe on the inside, but it's how you live on the outside. That's what we're going to talk about today, because this whole thing we've been talking about, fighting for faith against forces within the church, and you staying in the faith, how you can accomplish that, and, and you building yourself up in the faith, and, and all of that, it's all been inward focus, but now Jude kind of shifts his focus a bit, and he says, but it's not just inward. It's not just what you believe on the inside. It's, it's not just inside the church and in your family and in yourself that you fight for faith. It's also outside. It's how you live your life outside in the world. And, and really what we're talking about today is this tendency we have to not allow what we believe to affect our lives. This tendency we have for our belief, or at least, at least what we say we believe, to be different than our action or our lives. And so we have this tendency. Let me say it this way. What you believe with your mind is not always what you do with your life, right? And I think if we were honest today, we would all agree with that. What you believe in your mind is not always what you do with your life. In other words, belief and action aren't always connected like we think they are, aren't always connected like we want them to be. Just because we believe something in our head doesn't mean it shapes what we do in our life. In fact, I would say this, everyone struggles, everyone struggles to live up to what we say we believe, right? Everybody struggles to live up to what we say we believe, everyone. Let me give you a couple examples so you see what I mean. My three-year-old Joshua is fearless. He is a fearless dude. If you know him, he's just like he's all energy, he's all boy, and he can be fearless. Like when we lived in our last house in Green Bay, uh, we had kind of a jungle gym uh, slide, you know, monkey bar type situation behind our house in our, in our backyard. And uh, he was not yet two, he was about one and a half. And we were out there and he walked up to it and he just climbed all the way up. He's one and a half year old baby and he climbed on top of the uh, monkey bars and he's climbing across the monkey bars on top. And I'm like, Aaron, come check this out. And Aaron comes out and says, oh my gosh, get him down. Right? And I'm like, nah, let's see this play out. (laughs) 
I want to see what happens. I'm like, you can make it. <laughs> she put dad in charge. <laughs> That's what happens. But he, sometimes he's just really fearless. Um, he, he's fearless. He, he climbs whatever he comes up against. When we go swimming, we have to put his, his swimmy or his floaties on. There's only three, right? We have to put his swimmies or his floaties on like in the car. Because when he sees water, he just goes. Like, it doesn't matter how deep it is. He's just fearless. He just wants to go. And so he's liable just to jump into the deep end. He wrestles our dog when she gets mad and she growls and she tries to bite him. He just laughs. All right? This kid is, at times, fearless. He's fearless. And, but last weekend, we got him his first big boy bike. All right? If you have kids, you know, that's like a big deal. All right? If you don't have kids, you don't know what I'm talking about. Just trust me. It's a big deal. And so he's been using one of those balance bikes or glider bikes. And so he's ready for a bike without training wheels. He's supposed to just be able to jump in. And he's been doing really good on the glider bike. And so we get him this big boy bike, and he's really excited. And some of you who have done this with your kids before, as far as teaching them how to ride a bike, you know where I'm going with this, right? And so I'm trying to teach him how to do this, and he's got great balance and so I get him out in the cul-de-sac, and, and he's doing great physically and all that, but he's freaking out, right? And so I'm pushing him on the bike, and I'm telling him, like, you got to pedal, you got to pedal. And I'm like, I'm going to let go. And he's like, no, don't let go, right? Don't let go, Daddy, don't let go. He's crying. I want my old bike. I want my baby bike. I'm a baby. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, dude, just calm down, all right? So I'm just pushing him, and I'm like, I'm going to let go. He's like, don't let go. He's usually fearless, but he is just freaking out. And so as I'm just going around and around the circle, not letting go of him, pushing him, holding on to him, I'm asking, do you know, Daddy, you'll keep you safe? Yes. Do you, know, do you trust me? Yes. Do you know it'll be fun? Yes, Daddy. Do you, are you going to die? No. Are you scared? No, I'm not, it's not scary. You can do this. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to let you go. And he's good until right, in, right up until I let go, right? And then he's like, no, 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 no. And he's crying and he's freaking out and he forgets to pedal and he falls down and all of that. Daddy's never dropped him before, except for that one time. No, daddy's never dropped him before, led him astray before, hurt him before. He, he believes he'll be all right, but belief and action aren't always connected, right? They're not always connected. My eight-year-old Kennedy is, is an awesome young lady. She's just amazing. I did that same thing with her when she was four, and she got through it, right? They all get through it eventually, but she's amazing, and I, I love her dearly. If you know her, you know she's smart and she loves Jesus. But one thing she's struggling with lately is how to treat her younger brother, and so a lot of times we'll hear her, now to, to give her the benefit of the doubt here, sometimes he's tough, right? Sometimes he's hard to handle. But she's working through this just like every older brother and older sister does. And, and so uh, sometimes I'll hear her, we will hear her uh, kind of use a, 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 a tone we don't like with him or, or try to make him mad on purpose when she doesn't think that we're listening. And I know if you know Kennedy, you're like, what? She does? She does. <laughs> just trust me, she does that. And then we'll have a talk with her, you know, and I'll, we'll say, hey, do you love your brother? And she's like, yes, I love my brother. And sometimes she'll even get mad. She'll be like, what do you mean? Of course I love my brother. Why are you even asking me that? She gets mad about it, right? And then we say something like, yeah, but baby, love is more than just a feeling, right? Love is action. 
And the way you're acting doesn't seem to line up with you loving your brother. It's action. If you really love your brother, it'll make you act in a certain way towards him. And, and she does love her brother in her own eight-year-old way. But more than anything, I think she loves the idea that she loves him, right? And she's just trying to figure it out. How do I actually love him? How do I do this? She believes she loves them, but what you believe with your mind is not always what you do with your life. And it's not just kids, it's adults too, right? It's why I can sit with some people and they can tell me like how much they believe in Christ, how much they want to serve the Lord, and then, and then three weeks later, three months later, one year later, they drop off the face of the earth, right? It's why we can go, yes, I believe God wants me to be generous, and we can even go, yes, I believe that God wants me to tithe, to give 10% of my income right off of the top. I believe that, and yet we don't do it. It's why I can counsel people in my office and we can agree on the destructive, the destructive behavior or nature of alcohol and pornography. And they really believe it. They really believe it in my office. And yet when they get out of my office and they're around some alcohol or they're alone with their computer, they fall right back into that destructive behavior. Belief and action aren't always connected. It's a, it's a struggle. But what you believe in your mind is not always what you do with your life. You may believe that God is primary and the gospel is primary and your number one job as a father or a mother is to unpack the glories of Christ to your children at the earliest age possible and to get your family into environments where they can understand and learn to grow in Christ. And yet, you can't seem to spend five minutes a night reading your Bible or reading the Bible to your kids or string four Sundays of attendance together, right? It's difficult. And if you're honest, for some of you, some of us, our, our starting position on Saturday night is and Sunday morning is how can I not go to church, right? Like, how do I get out of this? I'm kind of tired. Is that good enough? I'm kind of sick today. Is that good enough? I mean, what's the weather like outside, right? Oh, it's snowing. I'm out. <laughs> oh, it's really hot. I'm out. Oh, it's perfect. I'm going to the park or the lake or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. The, the, we can use the weather to decide no matter what it is, right? Or I got to mow my lawn or I really love this one. One of my family members is sick, so none of us are going, right? All, all 37 of us. We're like, well, we're staying home because that one's sick. And you believe that it's vital. I, I believe that you believe that. At least you say you do, but what you believe in your mind is not always what you do with your life because it's difficult, and we could go on. We, we need to help the needy, but we consume 100% of what God's gives, God gives us every week, every month, and therefore we have no margin to give to the needy. We have no margin. Or we become judge, jury, and executioner for the, well, executioner's a little harsh, but judge and jury for the homeless man on the side of the road, and we decide that we rationalize our way around why we shouldn't give to him because we don't know what he'll do with the gift we give. We should tell people about Jesus and invite them to church, but we can't remember the last time we did that. We should forgive because God forgave us, but not them. Not them. You don't know what they did to me. Not them. Belief, especially intellectual, cognitive belief, it doesn't always lead to action, right? It's difficult to connect it to what we actually do. And listen, I'm not trying to hurt you or beat you up this morning with this idea. I'm trying to help you because I love you. 
I'm, I'm saying that this is a thing. And <laughs> you need to think about it. You, you, and if you know it about yourself, then you can maybe fight against it. If you know that, that it's not just about belief or what we say we believe or what we can declare, but that there's another step in the process, that it's not automatically going to make you do what you need to do and live the way you need to live, but there's this intentional step where we have to go, if we believe this, then that means we act in this way and we have to connect those things. If you know that, then you can kind of head this off at the pass, right? I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. It's not just about believing. And that's great that you believe. That's the first step. That's great that you can declare that belief, but this is about more than just believing. Fighting for faith is about living. It's about living. Look at Jude 22. He's just talked about what we should do for our own faith to keep ourselves in the love of God, build ourselves up in the word, pray in the Holy Spirit, live in the hope of Jesus' return with the hope of Jesus' return at the center. And now he kind of shifts from the inside to the outside. Look at verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So he's saying this is how you fight for faith out there. As you're doing what's right to train and prepare within your personal life, you go out and first it's have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. And this is interesting to me because Jude has been so intense and so harsh to this point. He he has had no patience for these people in the church trying to deceive God's children. He said things like they're ungodly, they're devoid of the spirit, they're rebels, they're liars, waterless clouds, windless seas, good for nothing. I mean, he's been very harsh towards you who would divide God's church based on sin or based on your own preference or based on whatever. He's been very, very harsh to you who would divide God's church. And then he goes, but show mercy. Show mercy to those who doubt. And churches are filled with people who doubt, aren't they? How many of you guys have doubted before? How many of you guys won't raise your hand no matter what I say? Okay, I tried to trick some of you. All right. Yeah, that's one of the big misconceptions out there about Christians, this idea that we don't mess up, that we don't doubt, that once we give our lives to Jesus, like everything's fine and we're perfect. And and that's why, like, the biggest excuse for people not to come to church they give is that the church is full of what? Hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites because a lot of times we as church people, Christians, our actions don't line up with what we say we believe, right? Because we're not perfect. We mess up. We make mistakes. We doubt. Yeah. There are inconsistencies. Churches, our church included. You know, we're just like Walmart. Panera. The football stadium, really. I mean, we're just like those places. We're just full of messed up people, right? Just full of sinners. Full of messed up people. Some of you more than others. No, I'm kidding. Kind of. Even though we tend to be aware of our sin, and that's kind of why we've gathered, right? Because we're aware of our sin and aware that we need a Savior. But we're still messed up. It doesn't mean that we don't sin, right? That's not what it means. Where sinners gather, sin will happen, right? Isn't that the saying, sin happens? Maybe you use a different S word, but I'm a Christian. I don't say stuff like that. 
especially in church. Shame on you. All right, next time someone you're talking to says they don't go to church because of the hypocrites, you just go, oh, wow, that is a tough rule to live by. So you don't go to Walmart? You don't go to anywhere that human beings gather because there are hypocrites everywhere, right? You don't go, where, where do you go? How do you get your groceries? Like you must get them online because there are hypocrites everywhere. And so on one hand, we think it's ridiculous that people outside the church would think this way, but my fear is that we think this same way inside the church. Now, what I mean is that we, we'll talk about sin happening and grace and forgiveness and all of that to those outside of the church, but we are ridiculously harsh with those inside the church with people coming in from outside, with neighbors and friends and waitresses and with anyone we share our faith, and new Christians and young Christians and old and mature Christians have mercy on those who doubt. Pastor, how can we know for sure that the Bible is true? Are you sure I can't just love Jesus and do whatever I want? But I love this person. I was born this way. I'm not hurting anyone. Are you sure? Pastor, you, you got to know that there are people out there, famous people, famous teachers, who don't agree with you on this. And they seem pretty legit. Have mercy. Have mercy on those who doubt. And this is based in humility, isn't it? I mean, showing mercy is all about realizing you were shown mercy. Giving mercy is anchored in the mercy you've been given. Does that make sense? We love because Christ first loved us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And we show mercy because God has shown us mercy. The only reason that we, we're not doubting is God's mercy. The only reason we're in here and not out there is God's mercy, right? The only reason we're on this side of the battle line instead of the side we were born onto is God's mercy. That's it. We didn't, none of us got ourselves here, right? If you're a mature Christian in Christ, I applaud that. That's great. I'm glad you're a mature Christian in Christ. We need you here, but you didn't get here on your own, did you? In fact, on your own doesn't even begin to start talking about this. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with me. It was all God's mercy, right? It was all God's mercy. If you ever get to a place where you're judging those outside of the church, you're struggling to show mercy to those who doubt, you're expecting non-Christians to act like Christians, it's because you've forgotten what you've been saved from and who it was who saved you, right? You've forgotten. You've forgotten the mercy, forgiveness, grace, love you've been shown in Christ. The way God treats you, it should change the way you act towards others, the way you live. You, you can't just say you believe and not live it. It's not just believing, but living that matters. Jude is saying, to fight for faith, you've got to live it out in the world too. Show mercy to those who doubt. And then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I love the imagery Jude uses. There's no mistaking his meaning here. 
Listen, beloved, it's not enough just to believe in the existence of hell and not let that change the way you act towards other people, right? That's not enough. That's not enough to to believe in the existence of hell but not let it change the way you act towards people who are headed there. Not be a Christian, not be someone who has received and understood the love of God. If it stays intellectual belief but never translates into action, then we've got a problem. It's not enough. Because it's not just about how you believe on the inside, but how you live on the outside. Let me me say it this way. If you believe in the existence of a real, eternal hellfire, but you do nothing to snatch people out of that hellfire, then you've either deceived yourself or you're the worst kind of evil. Let me say it again. If you believe in the existence of a real, eternal hellfire, but you do nothing to snatch people out of that hellfire, then you've either, either deceived yourself or you're the worst kind of evil, somebody who would want people to go to hell. Because if you believe in hell and you have the love of God in you, that would absolutely translate into the way you live your life. No way around it, right? No way around it. But what we've done is we've said, well, that's God's job. God's the one who saves people out of hell, so I don't really have to do anything with that. That's really God's job. And and so we've just kind of lived our lives in this little Christian bubble. We go to church and we hang out with Christians. We go uh, to holiday dinners and we hang out with Christians. We go, the, the people we hang out with at work are Christians. We, we stay in this little bubble. We invite people over for guacamole and board games. Christians. We stay in this little bubble of Christianity where we have no affect no interaction with those outside of the Christian faith who are on their path, on the path to hell. God will take care of them. That's not my job. My job is to stay in my Christian bubble. And anybody who breaks through the bubble, then I'll interact with them. But if they don't break through the bubble, God must not want me to interact with them. I'm just going to stay with Christians. You can believe in the existence of hell and not let it affect the way you live, but it's devastating to those who haven't experienced the love of God yet. It's devastating. It's devastating to you, too. Because the Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 4. He said, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And before you start to rationalize around this and go, well, brother, it must be people in Christ, not people outside of Christ. And before you start to do that, just know that this, is, this whole section is talking about how we treat people who are outside of the church. Christians, non-Christians, the whole bunch. So what's being said is love for God produces love for people, Right? And the implication is clear, isn't it? I mean, it's impossible to love God, believe in hell, and not try to save people from it. Love for God produces love for people. It's impossible to love God, believe in the existence of hell, and not try to save people from it. If you don't love people, you you can't possibly love God, John says. Beloved, hell is real. And that should change the way you treat your barista at Starbucks because it means she has a soul and she's going to hell without Christ. It should change the way you treat the lady at the bank because it means she has a soul 
and she's going to hell without Christ. It should change the way you treat your coworker because he has a soul and he's going to hell without Jesus Christ. What about this one? It should change the way you treat the person on Facebook or Twitter that you disagree with because they have a soul and they're going to hell without Christ. What about the IRS? Them too. What about those people who can't figure out roundabouts? Them too. Them too. What about the one who betrayed me, hurt me, said mean things to me? Especially them. Especially them. Jude says to fight for faith outside the church, to live your belief out, to save people by snatching them from the fire. So some questions for you to consider in all this. Do do you know any lost people? Are you friends with any non-Christians that need Jesus? How long has it been since you've had a meaningful conversation with someone headed for hellfire? And those are uncomfortable questions maybe, but how are they going to be snatched from the fire if we don't build a relationship with them to share with them Jesus? How are they going to be snatched from the fire if we're just hanging out over guacamole together? You know how when you're sitting at a campfire or you're, you're, you're backed up towards uh, a fireplace to kind of get warm and, and you start to feel a burn on your leg or on your back or whatever, uh, and you, you're like, whoa, I got a little too close, right? Like, I need to, and you're kind of doing this. You feel the heat. It's a little too much. You back away from the fire. Fire gets too big, whatever. You start to feel that heat. Well, my question here is, with this passage is, are you feeling that? I mean, he's talking about snatching people right before they walk into the fire. How uncomfortable is that? I mean, you've got to be close enough to the fire to feel some heat, right? How comfortable are you? It's got to be pretty warm if you're close enough to the fire to snatch people out of it at the last second. And I think some of us have, have set up shop a yard from church. Some of us have set up shop a yard from the church bell because it's so comfortable when we should really probably set up shop a yard from hell so that we can snatch people from the fire. Just a thought. Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe I'm right. And I know what a lot of you are thinking, but we're supposed to live holy, right? Sinners hang out that close to hell. We're supposed to live holy and separate and, and to get that close, man, we might end up in the fire and the, and the sinners might tempt us into sin and we might lose our way. That is an absolutely legitimate concern. It's not wise for an alcoholic to hang out at bars or a drug addict to carry uh, some cocaine in his pocket just in case, right? It's just not a good idea. Fortunately, Jude addresses this concern because he says, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So to those caught in sin, a yard from hellfire, we show mercy with fear. What's he saying? He's saying, don't be dumb, right? Don't be dumb. Like, don't think too highly of yourself. Just because you've got good intentions does not mean that you're somehow immune to falling into the same sin that you're trying to keep them out of, right? Don't be dumb. Be humble enough to show mercy with fear. 
Fear the sin. Fear falling into that sin. Let that tension of loving the sinner and hating the sin, let that tension remain tight in your heart and in your mind. Remember that. Fear the sin. He's saying to fight for faith. You have to live this thing out. You've got to stay pure. You can't be defiled. You have to show mercy. Yes. Go snatch people from the fires of hell, but do it with the right amount of fear. Stay pure. And listen, if that leaves you going like, how in the world, right? I can't do this. It's too hard. How in the world can I do this? There's no way I can pull this off. I can't do this. If that's you, then you're right where God wants you this morning. That's exactly where you're supposed to be after reading this text. Just don't stop reading. Just don't stop reading. Look at what Jude ends with. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Did you hear what just got said? To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. As we've studied Jude, we've been given example after example after example of people stumbling. Those not to follow, right? It happens to so many. Could it happen to you? Absolutely. To me? Yep. We are a stumbling people, are we not? Every single one of us. Only a fool thinks he has no chance of falling. Fighting for faith is scary and difficult, not just starting, but staying, persevering. It's so hard setting our lives up to do the faith at home in our personal lives, not just talk about it. It's not easy. Setting up shop a yard from hell rather than a yard from the church bell is difficult so that we can snatch those out of the fire. That's difficult. Stumbling is inevitable. But don't forget Beloved, don't forget, do not forget that we do all this for a God who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you holy in the end. We do this for a God who is able to do that. Don't forget that the God we do this for is the God who does this for us, right? He will sustain you. It's his strength, not yours. Now, one more thing from this last two verses. God is able to keep us from something. He's able to present us before something. But this all happens. Our common salvation, Jude wanted to talk about in the very beginning, comes around to it at the end. Us fighting for faith, persevering till the end, this all happens through someone. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? It all comes back like it should to Jesus. He's our hope, he's our champion, he's our joy. He is our end. Without him, we're nothing. But with him, we can fight for faith inside the church, inside our homes, inside ourselves, and out there. And we can not only fight, but we can win. 
But listen, beloved, faith and all this, it's more than just belief. It's more than just what you believe in your head. It has to be. It's life. It's the living that matters. Fighting for faith is not just how you believe on the inside, but how you live on the outside. If you've truly accepted the love of God in Christ, it will produce love for others. There's no other way around it. It'll produce a desire to take the fight out into the world and to snatch people from the fires of hell. It'll produce a passion to fight for lost people, not to fight against lost people. If this is real, you'll look around and you'll be blinded by the light of so many Christians gathered together and you'll realize there's something wrong. That we're shining the light, but we're not shining it into darkness. That we're testifying to people who already know the truth. You'll look around and you'll go, there's something wrong here. But my concern is that you'll be stuck at the level of a three-year-old who says he trusts his daddy but can't actually act in a way that would line up with that. My fear is that when it comes to real belief translating into real action, you'll, you'll be like an eight-year-old who loves the idea of loving her younger brother but struggles to actually show him that love. My fear is that you would live your life this way towards God. That belief and life would somehow be separate. And I'm not saying that we have to be perfect. This is really just a challenge to take inventory. Look at your life. Are you merciful, compassionate, loving towards those in need? Do you make it your goal to to snatch people from the fire like Jude was talking about? If your MO is to pass by those who are hurting and in need and to avoid lost people altogether, to stay, to say the right things in your head but live differently, then you're probably not a Christian yet. I mean, I'm glad you're here. You're just probably not a Christian yet. And listen, it's not me saying that. It's the Bible. So if you're mad, just be mad at Jesus. He can handle it, all right? Just be mad at the Bible. It's in there. So my challenge today is this. Does your belief affect your action? Does what you believe in your mind affect what you do with your life? Does it govern what you do with your life? And listen, I get it. This is hard. I mean, it's, it's not easy to actually live out what we believe. It's not easy to actually do this. But what does that say about us? Isn't it that we don't actually believe it to begin with? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your truth, even difficult truth, would sink deep into our hearts and create faith. I thank you, God, for Jude and the awesome study we've done over the last five weeks. I I pray that Jude would stick with us as uh, any of your scripture inspired by your Holy Spirit sticks with us. I pray as always that This message, whatever is from you, would haunt us this week, would not be easily forgotten, but instead would would come to our mind every morning, every day, and that our lives would change because of that. As you keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, and we're just in a moment where we're just saying, God, what do you want to say to me through this message? If, If you've got a Christianity that stops with you, If you've got a Christianity that stops 
with your family and never goes outside of that, then I just want to give you a chance to repent this morning. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise a hand or anything like that, but just between you and God, just repent. Just say, God, I'm so sorry. Help me, Lord, to have a passion. Help me, Lord, to have a passion for people who don't know you. Let my Christianity be bigger than just a hobby or just a cultural thing that I do. Let my belief translate into life, into action. So just repent in your own words. Tell your wife, tell your husband. Talk about it with your friend, your mentor, a pastor maybe during prayer time, during our last song, but talk to somebody about it. And repent. But when I was talking about showing mercy because we've been shown mercy, love because Christ first loved us, forgiving because we've been forgiven, maybe you, maybe you haven't experienced that. And when I was talking about those living right outside the gates of hell because they're on their way into the fire, so close to the fire that it already burns, maybe that's you. Maybe you're headed that way and you know you're the person on the path to hell. And let me just be the one who snatches you from the fire today. Take a moment right now and just give your life to Jesus. Just give your life to Jesus. The Bible says that anyone who confesses that they believe in Jesus, anyone who who lives this thing out, if you submit your life to Jesus, that God is faithful and just to save you, to transform you, to make you new. Man, I I was there once. I got no judgment. I was there. I was right next to the fire, not in a good way, but in a bad way. I was right next to the fire on my way into the fire. I was there once. I don't have any judgment. All of us who have received the mercy of God know that we were there once. I'm no different than you. So I just encourage you in a decision moment right now just to give your life over to Christ, to ask for his help, to be snatched from the fire. Jesus, we thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful to speak to us every Sunday, to create faith in our hearts, to transform our lives, to snatch us from the fire. We thank you, God, for the mercy we've been shown in you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you. May your belief be real. May it drive you to action. And may you always fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered to you in Christ Jesus. Don't miss next week. Stay and sing a song with us. Get prayer on the sides. Don't miss next week as we start Philemon. God bless.